Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information about Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Good afternoon. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you tuned in today. This is the second part of the um, two-part series that we're doing on shame as a spiritual crisis. And so um, just to kind of recap the last show, if you weren't able to listen to it, but I do want to say that you can go on the KPXQ 1360 AM website or 1360 KPXQ, and there are the shows that are archived. So if you missed last week, it may be very helpful to listen to that show, as, and then uh, you can listen again to this one, and it may really help to make more sense. I did say in the last show that repetition, of course, is the mother of learning, and so we are going to repeat some things. So as I give you this little recap, what we talked about is why would shame be a spiritual crisis? Because generally this is a psychological issue or dilemma, and it is dealt with in, in the therapeutic uh, setting because of the pervasive chronic uh, nature of it and how, it, how deeply it affects people. But what we see is that shame, the shame-based reality is a spiritual crisis because it develops a res- as a result of emotional and or physical abandonment. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that abandonment, but it is that separation from self, separation from others, separation from God. And that happens when we feel like we're defective people. Because we, we don't want to be found out. And so it's very, we, we become very fear-based in that if I expose myself, if I really show you who I am, you won't love me, you won't see me as worthy, and you will then abandon me. And so what happens with this shame-based reality is that we feel like we shouldn't exist. We feel like there's something wrong with us, that we're unworthy of love. And as a result, we lose this sense of communion with others and, and ourself and, and our connection with God. And we become isolated from all those external sources of comfort. And so we can trace this, this spiritual crisis all the way back to the second chapter of Genesis, where it says in Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So when they were their authentic self, they felt no shame. We see in the following chapter, in the third chapter, verse 10, Adam answered God's call and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So what this shows us is that this shame-based reality had set in to Adam and Eve, and they were afraid. They were afraid to be found out, and so they hid. So how often has someone called you, and you went, oh, gosh, I don't want to take that call. I don't want to deal with it. I don't, I'm not really liking myself right now, and I don't, I don't want to gear up to, to address it or to even interact with them. Or, or if God is calling you, have you hid from God and said, oh, I don't want to go there? I have too much. I have too many things that I'm looking at that are just disgusting and gross. So I, I want to deny them. I want to pretend like they're not there. I'm going to get into hyper performance and, and see if I can assuage those feelings of shame and, and subsequent feelings of guilt by just performing better. 
And so what happens is when, when they chose to go against God's will, they, what they did is they established self-will. See, God wants us to have free will. He gave us free will, and he wants to help us choose well. He wants, us to, he wants to help us choose what would be authentic to our humanity that causes us to enjoy ourselves even more and enjoy others and enjoy God. And so what happened was instead of using free will when it came to choosing whether or not to eat of the apple, they chose self-will, which was their own way and their own freedom. And then what happens is when we try to create our own freedom from our, for ourselves or we go our own way, we experience bondage fear and shame. Because this way is a way of entitlement. It's being our own God. And we know that in Proverbs, one of my favorite verses is fourteen twelve. It says, there's a way that appears right, but in the end leads to death. So what we looked at in the last show was this idea of this, this antidote that our society's come up with, and that's to be shameless. And you see this all over. We see people that are completely unchecked um, and, and not in charge of themselves. And they're just going off, and however they feel in the moment, whatever they think, they're going to speak it out, they're going to act it out. And, and if you don't like it, then you know what? It's your problem. Deal with it, because this is who I am. And what we find is that, you know what? That's really not who they are. That's who, who they are in that moment, and that's what they're feeling. That's, that's what they're thinking in the moment. But that may not be what they feel the next moment or think the next moment. So it's not really who they are, because... Who God has created humans to be is very dignified people. The human creation is glorious and magnificent, and we need to be rising to that, and not through performance where we are, are trying to be good, but by knowing authentically who we are and experiencing the love of God, the love of self, and I'm not talking about egocentrism. I'm talking about true self-care and having compassion and fondness for yourself the way God does. And then also the love from others. So what happens is we have this shameless society. And it feels very out of control and very unsafe and very chaotic. Which makes those of us around in society more fear-based as well. And so when people are acting out on us, and many times that's abusive. And so we wear that shame. We feel yucky and bad. I know it, it happened uh, yesterday in the parking lot for me. I, I was driving through the parking lot, and this woman was crossing, crossing, trying to, to cross and get to her car, and I couldn't figure out if she was really doing it or not, and she had a couple of you know, middle-aged kids that were sort of following her, maybe 10 feet behind, and so I was trying to navigate whether I should stop or move forward. Well, she interpreted it as me not wanting to stop for her and really had a very difficult time with me to the point that she drove by me and, kind of rolled down her window. I was with my husband at that point and, you know, really went after me as she drove away. And, and my husband looked at me and I said, really, I, I, I don't know what happened. But afterwards, I knew that I did not intentionally be difficult in the parking lot, but I felt bad. I just, you know, and, and, and it stayed with me for about five or eight minutes. And I just felt bad about the interaction and I wanted to correct it. And, and see, that kind of behavior gets put on us and then we wear it as a cloak. It's that dark, ugly, yucky feeling. Because what shameful behavior does is causes me to integrate it as my own. And so we see what we talked about in the, in the last segment of the last show 
was that we learn to be shame-based, and we learn this from our families. And this is not in any way a slam against families or your current family with your, your current children. This is simply one of the dilemmas of humans is that we have a fallen nature, and our attempt to make it right causes us to be inauthentic people. When we are inauthentic, then we act in ways that are not healthy. And so we end up harming others. Well, little children always take that personally, always, because they don't know any other way. They think the world is all about them, and that is not because they are characterologically narcissistic. That's because it's a part of their stage of development. And so however parents act toward them causes them to interpret that as who they are. So if I had parents that, excuse me, were judging, condemning, uh, had unconditional love, I mean had conditional love toward me, uh, judged what I thought, judged what I felt, didn't mirror who I was to me, then I'm going to interpret that as I'm a bad person. Because if I were a good person, I wouldn't be treated that way. So when we have extreme levels of abuse, we have sexual abuse, we have physical abuse, intellectual abuse, spiritual abuse, and and different degrees of emotional abuse, it causes us to feel emotionally abandoned because we're not connected to our primary caregiver. And so when we're not connected to that primary caregiver, we feel like there must be something bad. We must be a bad person. We must be unlovable. We must be unworthy. This is why that connection to God was so powerful when Adam and Eve felt like they lost it. And so what we're looking at here is this integration of I'm a bad person, and then as I go forward in my life, I carry that with me. So we talked about the causes of shame come from the outside and come from the inside. And so instead of using society's antidote for you know, there's no way I can be perfect, so I'm not even going to try. And so I'm just going to act however I want to act and feel whatever I feel, and I'm not going to feel bad about it because I'm so tired of feeling bad about it. I'm just not going to feel bad about it anymore. Now, that would be nice if we were able to do that. But what we end up doing is just denying more pain that we're, that we're incurring. And what we looked at is that there's a difference between guilt and shame. And what guilt does, guilt is this wonderful indicator that tells me that I might be a little bit off. And so it's similar to the indicator light on, on, in your car. So if your car is telling you, you know, you're running out of gas and you ignore it, you're going to incur a lot of pain. Well, we don't want to turn down that guilt indicator. What we want to do is we want to manage guilt because guilt is a gift from God. See, it keeps us safe from doing things that will harm us and others. And it acts as this indicator that keeps us from doing shameful things that cause us to fall into condemnation. And so what we see is in terms of definitions of shame, we see these two different definitions that are easy, easy to understand. We see that guilt says I've done something bad and shame says I am bad. See, God did not say Adam and Eve were bad. He said their behavior was bad and he had to deal with their behavior. He didn't see them as unlovable or unredeemable. He had to deal with their behavior. What Adam and Eve did is instead of feeling guilty, they thought they were bad. And they integrated it and internalized it. The uh, the other way we can look at this is in the case of shame-based identity, it isn't that we feel shame about doing bad things. Rather, we feel ourselves are bad, which increases our fear. And then when we're fear-based, 
We see everything is dangerous, and we are going to act in a way that is more extreme. So what we need to see is guilt is a gift from God, but toxic shame is a gift from the enemy. And this is a gift that keeps on giving long after the behavior was done or experienced from ourselves or, or someone else. Because it tells us we're defective, worthless, and bad, and encourages us to continue in shameful behaviors as a painful re- pain reliever. So if I feel bad about me, I may then act out in addictive behaviors to medicate how bad I feel, which increases my shame. So as we take this break, I want you to think about what are maybe some areas that you're experiencing this or that this resonates with you. And we are going to talk about the causes of shame and how we heal from it. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me. This is Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about shame as a spiritual crisis. Because what toxic shame does is it increases our feelings of abandonment and it separates us from God, separates us from others, and it separates us from ourselves. And I talked in the first show uh, last week about the difference between condemnation and conviction. And what we see, this beautiful verse in Romans 8.1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because God is not condemning us for our bad behaviors. He really understands them. He really gets it. He knows how trapped we are. And in Psalm 69.33, one of my favorite verses, it says, God does not despise his captive people. So he knows that we're held captive by a fallen nature. So he is not angry, mad. He's over that. He got over that in the Old Testament. And he sent Jesus as this beautiful covering. And so we, we talked a little bit about the idea of a covering. That's, that is where a life is taken, blood is shed, and there's a covering for that sin. It doesn't mean that God's in denial. It doesn't mean that he's, in delu- he's delusional. He's not pretending that it doesn't happen. But what he's doing is he's saying, you know what? I see it, I get it, but I'm not exposing it as a way to shame you into change. I really understand it, and I'm working with you on it, and I'm going to complete the good work I started. So when we have shamelessness, we have high exposure. And so if you're around people that are shameless, you have no idea what they're going to say. I mean, they could say something that you told them a year ago in confidence, and they just expose it. And so with shamelessness, we don't have this sense of, of authentic disclosure that causes us to increase intimacy, we have this abuse of exposure that creates more shame for us. And so we see this beautiful verse in Romans 4, 7. It says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And this is what I do in therapy every day. People's sins are covered. They're not ignored and they're not denied, but they have a safe place to say, this is who I really am, and I don't know if, I'm an, if you're going to think I'm okay. I don't think I'm okay. I'm having a really hard time with myself. In fact, I want to, like I've told you before, I had times in my life where I wanted to unzip myself and just get out. And so it's this feeling of, I, I need to show you who I really am. I need to be seen for who I really am so that I understand what behaviors aren't authentic to me. And so instead of feeling like these bad behaviors are truly me, I need to understand that they're a manifestation of a fallen nature, 
they are um, my self will run riot. Instead of choosing free will to follow God, I'm choosing self-will and thinking I have my own solutions to my own problems. And so there's much that we need to repent for. I don't want you to think that, that I am in any way watering that down. That is a hugely positive and healthy and, and redemptive healing process. But it's done with covering, which is what God offers us. And so we see this great example in Genesis 9.23. With Noah, you know, he he goes through the whole miracle of the ark. He hears from God. He builds this ark. He withstands all kinds of derision and and shame and and humiliation and ridicule from all these people. He's this brave man, and he stays on the ark for forty days. And oh my gosh, endures all this. And they land, and what is he gets drunk? Oh my gosh. Well, is that not human or what? You know, we we see countless you know examples in the Bible of men that do great things, people that do great things, and then they do these bonehead behaviors. And so what does his sons do? It says, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father naked. You see, they knew that wasn't authentic to their dad. They knew he he had a moment. He had, you know, and, and he may even have enduring moments. My goodness, all of us have this sin that easily besets us, right? That we're trying to work out with fear and trembling. And so what we want to see is that God covers in order to give us privacy, not secrecy. See, when we come from shame-based families that have secrets, that everybody feels defective and they feel bad, they want to hide. And so we get this feeling of secrecy because privacy is not afforded or privacy is seen as secret. And so what happens is we, we start to live this life of hiding and we do what, what Adam did. He said, you know, I was afraid and I hid. And God says, I don't want you to hide from me. I don't want you to hide from yourself. I don't want you to hide from safe people. What I want is for there to be privacy without secrecy. And so part of being a healthy person is I provide safety. See, the more authentic I am with myself, the more I know me and, and I know me. Uh, you know, as best as I can know me, I know me, I get me. I'm, you know, I'm a very mistake-making person. I have lots of things I've worked on in my life. But I have no shame about that because I know that that's being human. And, and I'm telling you what, thank God he, he doesn't expose me because the amount of things that God has overcome in my life, he would love to shout everything he's done for me on the mountaintops and tell everybody and have the book of Cynthia. And thank God he doesn't. I'm glad that he doesn't tell everybody all the things he's overcome in me. But he's very happy. He's very excited about what he's overcome in my life and what I have chosen as free will to engage in overcoming with him. So I want to encourage you about this issue of shame, that there is no room for it in the Christian life because we have no condemnation. Satan wants you to think you are bad and you need to fix it, that you are yucky, that you are disgusting. And out of that is going to come really bad, inauthentic behaviors that further reinforce that. So as we look at the causes of shame, we see that they either originate from the outside or the inside. And what we find is they originally occur outside by the way that our parents model love, nurturing, caregiving, mirroring, uh, acceptance of feelings, whether they judge or criticize us, whether they accept us, whether we have love that's unconditional. So none of us have perfect families. We're going to have some shame. So we get that from the outside. We learn that. We integrate that, especially if there has been abuse. We integrate deep amounts of shame. 
And then what happens is, it's secondly, it originates then from the inside, which is after I've learned and assimilated shaming messages and behaviors from others, then I actively, unconsciously engage in shaming thoughts, behaviors, and relationships, and intrapersonal abandonment. And that intrapersonal abandonment means that I've abandoned myself. I hate myself. I don't like myself. I don't want to have anything to do with myself. I want to forget about myself. And so what happens is I am unchecked because I'm not connected to myself, which means that I'm going to continue to do things that are inauthentic, and then I'm going to embarrass and shame myself, which furthers that self-hatred. So these are some of the things that we are going to talk about in this next segment. We are going to talk about how we heal from shame, the way the difference between healthy toxic shame. We're going to talk about more ways that we cope with shame, which is many times we talked about in the first show, that sympathetic nervous system and the fight, flight, or freeze is one of the things that actively happens when we are shame-based people. And then we're going to talk very specifically about how we heal from shame because God wants us free from shame. He doesn't want us free from healthy shame. And as we talked before, healthy shame tells me that I may want to scale back a little. I may have gone a little too far. Healthy shame tells me to not walk out of my house naked. Healthy shame tells me not to engage in socially inappropriate behaviors that make other people uncomfortable. So healthy shame is part of me knowing where the limits and the boundaries are. Toxic shame tells me I'm bad. And that is what God wants to undo because he sees us as very, very valuable and he wants to redeem us. So join me in this next uh, segment and we're going to take this short break. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me again. This is Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about shame as a spiritual crisis and understanding that what toxic shame does is toxic shame is giving me those shaming messages that I am somehow defective. There's something dreadfully wrong with me that I need to fix it. And we talked about in Genesis that Adam and Eve practice self-will versus free will because free will helps me to choose God's way and, and to trust his process, because he knows me. He created me. He, he also knows the entirety of, of time and future and space and all these things that are far beyond my comprehension. And so what happens when I trust my will, I end up choosing poorly. And I, I uh, continue to show myself that. And so one of the things that we want to work on is if we are shame-based because of what is we have incurred, either by our families or abuse from outside or inside our families, and then we continue to shame ourselves with those negative messages, that self-hatred, that abandonment of self, then what we're going to incur is more shame, and it's going to become this vicious cycle that Satan loves. That is his greatest gift to us, is just to abuse us, cause us to experience shame, and then we keep that shame going for him, and he just has to spin it every now and then. So when we're looking at shamelessness, what we see is that it's brazen, barefaced, it's brash, it's unblushing, it's no sense of shame, it's, it's things done without decency or modesty. And so it is truly stealing dignity from humans. And, and you know, rarely are we, do I think that I'm going to learn something from television 
even though I certainly enjoy some of the shows. But I, I was fascinated by this new show that's coming out on TV. It's called, I guess in its third season, it's called Shameless. And it's the Gallaghers. And, you know, I was amazed. I thought to myself, wow, they really understand Shameless and the behaviors and subsequent consequences that come with it. They are even educating us on what Shameless does. And so one of the things that when I watched the teaser, and and this is, please hear, this is no condemnation of the show. This is, this is where our society is now. And this is what is so, so sad is that our society has, you know, created its own self-will and, and decided the antidote for all that condemnation and fear and judgment and hypermoralism and legalism and criticism and unconditional love is just to be shameless. So, you know, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we will die. So who cares what we do? We have no vision anymore, so we have no restraint. So we're just going to give in to our our base nature and act more instinctually, and we're just not going to care because it hurts too much to care because we keep failing. And so we have this, this complete, like, amplification of shamelessness, and we see how detrimental it is to our society, to ourselves, to our relationships, and so what, what we do as Americans frequently is our way of dealing with pain is to make a joke about it, normalize it, uh, make a parody of it, and we all laugh about it, and then we don't feel so bad about it. But the problem is it really doesn't fix it. I wish that that relieved us of the pain of shame. I wish that relieved us of the pain of inauthenticity. What it does, it just medicates us initially and gives us a way to get outside of ourselves. And we further abandon ourselves, and we just make a joke about how crazy and out of control everybody is. So they, this show really understands shameless. And, and what they say is they have this big, you know, uh, these PowerPoint bullet points. And it, as they're playing this music and these people are walking around doing crazy behavior, like hitting one another and throwing things and partying and getting caught by the police, you know, and they say Gallagher life is... And then it says relationship problems, legal trouble, daddy issues. And when it comes to family drama, the Gallaghers don't just set the bar, they raise it. And so they, they understand shameless brings relationship problems, legal trouble, daddy issues, mommy issues, and family drama and drama in our life. So as we, as we understand this, we need to continue to look at what the antidotes truly for shame and toxic shame is. And so we looked at what healthy shame is. We looked at toxic shame. And because we live in the shame-based reality, we end up acting shameless as a way to fix it. But what we're going to do in this last segment is we are going to talk about how we cope with shame and how we heal from shame. Because one of the major ways that we cope with shame is we go back into that limbic system. And this is where the fight, flight, or freeze Uh, situation happens. This is the sympathetic nervous system. Because when we have shame, we feel defective. And so life becomes dangerous because what happens is somebody finds out how bad I am. And so everything becomes critical. So we either are going to fight with somebody and justify and rationalize. We're going to flee the scene. We're going to abandon the scene. Or we're just going to freeze. We're going to have paralysis. We're going to just stare at somebody. We don't know what to do. And so in this next segment, I want you to come back And we are going to talk about how to heal from shame. And one of the ways to understand when you are coping inappropriately with shame. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me. And we will come back in a few minutes. 
Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And this is our last segment for the show today, and we are going to wrap it up with understanding how we cope with shame and how we heal from shame. And what we were talking about is this issue of toxic shame. And those definitions are when we know we have toxic shame, what happens is instead of guilt that says, I did a bad thing, shame says, I am a bad person. I'm a defective person. And so instead of feeling guilty about the bad things I do, I just think I'm a bad person, down to the core, defective, unworthy. These very ugly, ugly, negative, heavy, dark feelings. And they're generally unconscious, and they sometimes come consciously to the surface where we might hear this inner talk that says, you loser, you know, you're a failure, who do you think you are? Nobody's going to like you, nobody's going to love you, no wonder people don't want to be around you. Whatever it is that your self-talk is, many times we just kind of try to medicate that away, and we do more shame-based behaviors. So one of the ways we deal with feeling bad is we either become more performance-oriented, where we just try to do good things. We try to look better, be more successful, be more popular, um, be more polite, be more Christian, all these different things that we're attempting to make ourselves feel better because we, we truly believe that we're defective. And what God is wanting to say is, I'm offering you a covering. You are fallen. I accept it. I see it. I know it. I've already created a, 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 way, a way out. I've already offered the healing that comes with that. And I'm not mad at you because you're struggling. I'm not mad at you because you, you, you live in a fallen body. What upsets God more than anything is when we hide from him. And we see the first person ever created did that very thing. And that was, that was Adam. When he, had a, he made a bad choice and had guilt, and instead of feeling guilty about what he did, he felt bad about who he was. He thought he was now a bad person and he needed, needed to hide and not show God who he really was. When God knew who he was and God already accepted him and God already thought him valuable to the point that God said, you know, I'm going to go forward with the human race. I'm not going to eradicate them all. I'm going to go forward. I am going to, I'm going to prove that my love never fails. And so what we see with shame is we have this inability to accept love because we feel we don't deserve it. We have to work for it. We can't just receive it because we're inherently bad. So we have to work for it. And that's where we get into that performance-oriented behavior. So as, as we go forward with this, what I want you to think about is the, the, one of the dominating factors for creating shame is our family of origin. And, and again, I am not slamming families. I have one of my own, and I came from one. So this is just part of the human condition, and God is very accepting of his families. And, and we see that, you know, Abraham made grave mistakes. I mean, the, the man is a liar and put his wife in complete jeopardy. And that was the father of all nations, and he was considered a friend of God. And so what we're seeing with God is that he, he is not in delusional about the human condition. He has already made a way, and he loves us anyways. And if any of you have children or pets, my goodness, you know how much you love them. And that it, truly when it comes down to it, there's nothing they can do that would cause you to not love them. I mean, I could tell you wonderful pet stories because we have an out-of-control cat in our house that thankfully has got his act together. But, you know, that, that was a valuable pet to me. And I'm very glad he got his act together. 
But it was painful when he was acting out and messing up the house and just having complete disrespect for our home. And so it was a difficult problem for me. It was a tearing because of my goodness, my love for this, just a pet. So imagine how God feels about people if we can love this way about pets and children. So we have this original source that comes from our family of origin. And then we have our society that shames us relentlessly, tells us we don't measure up, you know, assaults our appearance and our status and whether or not we're intelligent enough, whether or not we're successful enough. And then we get into shaming relationships that are abusive. We may have people that are horribly codependent. We may have people that are narcissistic. We may have people that have severe intimacy problems that leave us feeling like, what is wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. So those thoughts and behaviors, if you have any of these thoughts, I want you to understand they are inappropriate because they are not authentic to you and they don't apply to you. And we need to come against them very staunchly because they harm you. And it hurts God's heart if you think in these ways. And that would be something like, I'm defective. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I'm a mistake. I'm dirty. I'm soiled, ugly, unclean. I'm filthy. I'm incompetent. I'm not good enough. I'm inept. I'm not wanted. I deserve to be abandoned. I deserve to be forgotten or unloved, to be left out. I'm weak. I'm small, impotent, puny, feeble. I'm a victim. I'm bad. I'm awful. I'm dreadful. There must be something evil or despicable about me. I am nothing. I'm worthless. And I deserve criticism, condemnation, disapproval. Do you hear as I speak those how powerful that is? How destructive that is. How painful. It's painful for me to say it. And so what's imperative is that you understand this is not from God. There is nothing godly about that way of thinking. That is straight from the pit of hell. That is straight from the enemy, and he loves abusing you with it, and he hopes that you believe him so that you do it for him. So it is imperative that when you hear those thoughts, you say to God, I don't know how to not think that way. I've started believing those, so help me believe what you say. Help me believe how you think. Help me believe what you feel. And then part of that is being able to show that or experience that or, or expose that to a, a safe person that says, oh my goodness, no. That is not the truth. And the truth is what will set you free. And what I tell clients and myself and my friends is it's imperative that if I'm able to believe in Jesus, who I cannot see, who I've never known, and I believe he's the son of God, I believe he rose himself from the dead, why would I not take that further and believe what he says about me and take that at face value and just take that as a step of faith? It doesn't matter if I believe it and feel it. It matters that I take it as a step of faith and I say, you know what, if God said it, that's where I'm going to start. And so one of the ways that I heal from toxic shame is that I'm aware of my shame. So if, I, if I'm not even aware of my thoughts, if I can't hear that white noise, that underlying unconscious voice, if I've toned it out so much that I just feel yucky, that's a good indicator that there's some shame, some unhealthy toxic shame. If I'm doing behaviors that are destructive, if I'm doing addictive behaviors, if I'm drinking more than I should, if I'm actively uh, eating things that are terrible for my body, if I'm refusing to do any form of exercise, if I'm doing things like using sex addictions or love addictions, 
or I'm spending more money than I should and I'm putting myself in a financial bind, if I'm caring more about others than I care about myself, these are destructing and abandoning to me, to the core level of me. And it sends me a shaming message, which is going to increase shameful behaviors, which then increases my shame, which causes me to be more, um, it causes it to be more difficult for me to be close with people because I have this yucky stuff going on inside of me that I'm embarrassed about that I hope nobody finds out. And so the antidote for shame is exposure, unfortunately, but it's healthy exposure. It's not the shameless exposure that we've talked about. It's being able to say, this is who I truly am. And I always recommend people do that first with God, that you really be intellectually honest with God. He knows it anyways. That you just simply say, God, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And I'm afraid that this is inherently who I am. And I need to know the truth about me. Because my truth is yucky. And I don't know how to not believe that. And so then it's imperative that maybe you write these things down. That you look at this and say, oh my goodness, I cannot continue to talk to myself in this manner. And so one of the examples I give to people about self-care, because the way around shame is love. Always love. Love and acceptance. And so you practice radical acceptance of yourself because God accepts you. I always tell people if God didn't accept you, you'd be dead. So apparently he's accepting things right now. It doesn't mean he agrees with them. And it doesn't mean that he approves them of them. So I can accept me without agreeing with everything I'm doing. I can accept me without approving of my current state. Because what I'm accepting is that I'm a phenomenally glorious, wonderfully magnificent creation that God has made. And he is busy completing the good work in me. So I practice radical acceptance, which means that I also practice fondness of myself, compassion toward myself, mercy and grace toward myself, All these things that Satan wants to tell me, if I do, I'll just get worse. Because see, shame-based behavior is also performance-oriented. So it tells me if I give myself a break, I'm really going to go crazy. And what we find is that when people are loved and accepted and supported, their behavior always increases and becomes better. Because they feel more authentically loved and then they connect more with themselves and they practice forgiveness and then they are set free. And so it's imperative that you do this radical acceptance and you practice self-love. And so self-love, self-care, being the primary caregiver, you know, one of the things I, I learned is, you know, God told me that, you know, Cynthia, you're going to be Cynthia forever. That, that, now, that may not sound profound to you, but that was huge to me. I'm going to be me forever. I, I need to get along with myself. I need to learn to live at peace with myself because I'm going to be with myself forever. And I don't want to be at war with myself. And so part of caring for me is realizing I'm the primary caregiver. I'm with myself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if God gave me to me, would he be happy with how I'm caring for that precious person that he loves? It's kind of like if I ask someone to watch my dog. Now, you have to understand my dog's a mongrel. So he's really, he's not worth anything to the world. But he's priceless to me. So if I ask someone to watch my dog because I say I'm coming back, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm moving to California. I'm going to prepare a place for me and the dog, and I'm coming back. If they don't take care of that dog, how do you think I'm going to feel? Now, they don't have to like my dog, but they do have to take care of my dog. And it's a dog. It's only a dog. Imagine how God feels about you. He says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back. 
And so he wants you to care for you and to take care of you. Whether you feel it or not, whether you think you're worth it or not, you belong to God and you are to care for you. And what we know about caring for somebody or caring for something is as soon as we do, we become fond. If you've ever had a cat that showed up at your door and you tried not to feed it, but then you started feeling sorry for it. And so you started putting water, then food. Well, now it's your cat. So now you miss it when it's not there. And then it comes in the house and now it's a pet. And now you love the cat. See, because as soon as you care for something, you become fond of it. You begin to have mercy, grace, and compassion for it. So it's important that we practice radical acceptance and self-love. And this is part of operating as Christ does. So we do this for others as we do unto ourselves. The more I do it for me, the more I'm able to give to you. That's the love chapter. So it's imperative as we are dealing with toxic shame that we learn to expose that thing that we are so embarrassed about, those things and those thoughts that we are having. And we gain the love and acceptance from another human. And we confess our sins to one another and we're healed. And that we are honest with God. And, and in this, what we do is we start to cut down on those coping skills. So if there has been abuse in your life, which is the most shaming thing you could ever incur, and it's imperative that you understand that the shame that you incurred is not because of anything you did. Nobody deserves to be abused. I don't care what somebody does. We don't even abuse prisoners. And if we do, people get in trouble for doing it. So we value human life. There is nothing that you can do that would warrant abuse. And it's imperative that if you are struggling with abuse and you are stuck in toxic shame, that you do get the help that you need. And that you do look for that because you are a wonderfully valuable human and you need to be authentically you. Thank you for sharing with me today and I look forward to talking to you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.